Hey, welcome back to Cathedral of the Rockies Amity Podcast. Sorry for the delay for those listening along in real time. I was actually in Seattle over the weekend watching my Denver Broncos play against the Seahawks. And I have to say, uh, if you haven't been to a NFL game and you love football, I highly recommend you go to one someday, uh, especially when a game that was as highly anticipated as that Broncos Seahawks game was just added this whole other element. Um, so much fun. Obviously, I'm pretty bummed about how it ended for those that watched it and know, but you know what? It was awesome to be there nonetheless, and it was great. So great. Um, all right, so now that I'm done fangirling with the Broncos, so in this sermon today, we've departed from our lectionary readings, uh, which we were going through Luke, and we're jumping into a three-week series called If You Want to Go Far, Go Together, Three Rules for the Journey. And the series is based around a little book titled Three Simple Rules by Reuben P. Job. And it's a, also a simple title for a series called Three Rules. <laughs> Anyways, these three rules are really valuable in their own right. But I think that theme to get that tying them together, that theme of go together is so important. And I think that because like we are, I think we all recognize the importance of as individuals to do no harm um, do no harm is the first rule we're talking about in this sermon um, but merely thinking in individual terms just I think it has serious shortcomings or bl- in blind spots and one example I have in mind is and in the area of uh, free choice or free will and so in western culture we place a huge importance on free choice This means we tend to view people's circumstances, both positive and negative, as the results of their freely chosen actions. And what that fails to account for is how the greater cultural context or community that an individual lives within, it like really shapes and affects their decisions, which affect their actions. And I always say now, um, this is one of my big sentences I like to throw out there, is no one makes free choices in a vacuum. And that means that there's always influences and other factors acting on people's decisions and choices, even if they're choosing them freely. So this means not only that we ought to do no harm as individuals, we shouldn't do that, but also we need to work together to create a culture and society that does no harm. Um, and I think I can, inv- and I think we live in a society that of individuals that know how to do good, but we're not doing good as a whole collective all the time. And so um, that will shape and influence individuals to also do no harm when the society and culture does because we're being shaped by the culture. But it's hard to do no harm in a society that doesn't reflect that. Um, Or if we're not even aware of the harm we are doing, if only a few individuals are aware, but the whole collective isn't working together to understand that, it's... Like, I hope I hope that's making sense. Um, I'm really thinking from a 30,000-foot view here. Um, but, like, the way I see it is individual, like, individualism and collectivism, as terms we like to talk about, they're, it's like a cyclical self-feeding process. They're always working on each other. It's not like one exists separate from the other. You know, the individuals shape the culture, but the culture and the collective also shape individuals. And so trying to find that like perfect dance you could say but anyways uh ben will do a better job and kind of landing the plane in his sermon by that i mean bringing it to a ground level 
maybe not so like abstract as me so i hope you enjoy that and yeah and look forward to the, the rest of the series as well invite you to take your seats as we prepare to look at the scriptures this morning. Uh, as I said at the beginning of service, we're starting a, a, just a three-week uh, mini-sermon series today, uh, Three Simple Rules for Life. It's, it's called, If You Want to Go Far, Go Together. Three Simple Rules for Life. And the three simple rules are do no harm, do good, and be faithful in loving God. And today we're looking at do no harm and, and looking for scriptures, I feel like Ephesians 4, 29 through 32 really captures the spirit of what it looks like for the church to do no harm. So I want to look at that with you this morning, just a few verses out of Ephesians chapter 4. It'll be on the screen uh, behind me as well. Listen to these words of the Apostle Paul to his church in Ephesus. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. The written word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Today, we're looking at do no harm. It's not a really complicated rule. Even a child can understand what it really means to not hurt or harm another person. And it's applicable to everyone at every stage of life. And when practiced, it really does work wonders in transforming the world around us. Do no harm. Most of us, especially in the past several years, have observed and struggled to resolve complex and difficult issues. I'm not alone in that, right? We've been traveling through some really complex and difficult issues. When we remember this simple rule beforehand, though, do no harm, it can often save us from uttering a word that is hurtful or considering a wrong response. It can save us from responding in a hostile or hurtful way rather than a considerate and kind way. We all know how it feels to have someone disagree with some of our most cherished beliefs. The simple rule of doing no harm can help us address the truth of a situation rather than cause even more harm to ourselves and to others. Now let's zoom out a bit from, back from the individual to the collective. We can apply, okay, it's good for me. I'm not going to do harm to someone else. But you know what happens when individuals gather in groups of individuals? <laughs> we, things start to change, right? I myself may be able to say, okay, I'm committed to not doing harm. But what about the collective we? What does it look like for we to be committed to doing no harm. 
When each one of us agrees to do no harm to those with whom we disagree, it provides a safe space to be while hard and faithful work of discernment is done. In that safe space, conversations and dialogues and discovery of new insight become extremely possible. When our individual and collective words and actions are guarded by this first simple rule, to do no harm, we have time and space to think about the consequences before a word is said or an action is taken. Listen to these words again from Paul and see how this applies to the church. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths but only what is helpful for what? Building others up according to their needs. And it may benefit those who listen. So it's including people who are hearing that conversation or that interaction or that conflict being resolved. How do your words not only come across to the one you're speaking to, but the people who are listening to that conversation? Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Aren't you thankful that the church has gotten that completely ironed out? We just, we're really good at that, aren't we? That's why there's only one denomination, right? We just, we've gotten rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, and brawling, and slander, And Paul says, get rid of every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. I think it's probably a good idea to make it a habit of reading this verse before we log on to Facebook every time. Let nothing unwholesome come out of your mouth, and that includes your fingertips too, right? But what would, growing up in a tradition where we emphasized biblical literalism, like the scriptures had to be taken word for word, literally. And I noticed growing up, kids really catch on a lot. I'm learning that as a new dad. Kids just, even at this young age, Foster is almost six months this month. Can you believe it? Six months old. But I, I, I've heard and I'm learning still that, that they become sponges, right? And growing up in a tradition that really emphasized biblical literalism, I noticed that we took the Bible literally when it came to women not being in ministry. But as soon as Jesus said something like, love your enemies, we were like, oh, that's figurative, we, 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 we were really literal about human sexuality, but then when it came to Jesus saying things like, you can't worship God and money, we're like, ah, that's fine. That's figurative, right? We really do have, even in the tradition I was raised in, we had a choosy method of saying, these are the scriptures we're taking literally, and these are the ones that we're taking figuratively. I, I, I often want to say, What if we just focused on this passage or even Jesus saying, love your neighbor? And as soon as we got that down, we can start talking about the rest of the Bible, right? Because what does Jesus say is the most important command? Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. 
When we neglect that love of God and love of neighbor, and don't forget loving yourself well, all of these other things start to become harmful. When love is not at the center, harm becomes the way in which we shape our relationships. One of my favorite theologians, Mr. Rogers. <laughs> Seriously, wonderful. A Presbyterian pastor his entire life and the show that he did shaped millions of people. He said, love is at the core of everything, love or the lack of it. And when there's a lack of love at the core of everything, harm is the only thing that can come. So love needs to be at the center of all we do. Each of us knows entire groups of people who are locked in conflict. Anyone know an entire group of people? that are, I'm sure images can come to your mind right now. Entire groups of people across the world who are locked in conflict. And sometimes they are over profound issues. And other times this conflict is over issues that we might think are just plain silly but the conflict is real just the same. Whether it's over a profound issue or over something silly, the conflict can still be divisive. Deep divisions can be caused and consequences can often be devastating through this conflict. You'll remember the, the quote by St. Augustine, in essentials, the essentials of our faith have unity. In non-essentials have liberty. In all things, have charity, right? I love that so much, but you know what breaks down is we all have different definitions of what's essential, right? We all have different definitions of what's non-essential. And like, wait, your non-essential is my essential. How am I supposed to have grace in that? How am I supposed to have charity? Or how are we supposed to have unity in that, but Augustine says, in all things, charity. Do we have charity in all things? What if all who are involved in the conflict can agree to do no harm? Can you imagine the implications of everyone's first commitment being to do no harm? We can imagine then that the environment in which conflict happens, because conflict is going to happen, but can we create an environment where no harm will be done and conflict can happen and it will be immediately changed to a hospitable environment? So how is the environment changed? Well, here's some practical examples for us this morning. If we are involved in group conflict, and it will happen, and we are committed to doing no harm, then we can no longer gossip about the conflict. If we're committed to doing no harm, then we can no longer speak slanderous or disparagingly about those involved in the conflict. We can no longer manipulate the facts of that conflict. We can no longer diminish those who do not agree with us and must honor each person as a child of God. This simple rule to do no harm can really make a huge difference if we collectively commit to it. Do no harm. Just imagine if this first simple rule was applied to every political situation. Do 
No, you can't manipulate the facts about it. You can't slander the people involved. You can't gossip about it. We have to create an environment where no harm is done from the beginning and the end of this political pursuit. How are we being mindful of the harm that it will be created in the world to those on the front lines of the issue? Imagine the world where do no harm is the first simple rule. We risk doing more harm when previous harm is not addressed. I really do believe that this rule to do no harm includes acknowledging and considering the harm that has already been done. We risk doing more harm when previous harm is not addressed and step towards healings are made. My heart breaks often at the times that I've heard my sisters, women in leadership, or my siblings of color to just keep the unity after injustice has been done against them. Keep the peace and reminded that their injustice is unaddressed and unhealed. This not only happens presently, but we do this with our retelling of history as well. Neglecting injustices only to focus on the parts of history we tend to like. This does harm as well. I have to tell you, one of the biggest things that I learned in seminary was Israel's faithfulness to record their unfaithfulness, right? If I was recording my history of my people, I'd leave out all the idolatry, all the icky parts, all the time when we sinned against other people. I'd leave that part out. But Israel was faithful to record their unfaithfulness, right? Every time they committed atrocities against other people, every time they put words in God's mouth, Israel was faithful to record their unfaithfulness, to show the love of God. And oftentimes now as a pastor, do you know what I wish? Because yes, Israel, that's what we call the Old Testament, and the New Testament highlights the radical love of God in Jesus Christ, but I wish history continued for us in the Christian church. I wish we had sacred texts like the Old Testament that talked about our empire of Christian nationalism since Constantine. When we started committing the doctrine of discovery that said, literally the Pope said, you have a divine right by God to go and conquer the rest of the world, even if genocide is part of it. Can you imagine if we Christians, especially of European descent, came to church Sunday mornings for the last thousand years and said, this slavery we participated, this was unfaithful. This patriarchy thing about not letting women lead is unfaithful to the gospel. This, this racism, this what, whatever we have participated with as the church, we need to be faithful to not only record it, but remember it so that we can repair and bring healing to the harms that have been done. Can I get an amen? Amen. Even as I preach these words to you this morning, we are standing on ground that was stolen from the Shoshone-Bannock people. May we be faithful to understand our unfaithfulness so that we can have a faithful future. If we start eradicating and banning the history that has icky parts in it, 
we can't learn to be a better people in the future. You all know the f- common phrase, those who exclude or erase history are doomed to repeat it over and over and over again. So we must acknowledge, if we want to do no harm, we must acknowledge the harm that has been done in the past. We all have our own individual histories too, don't we? At one point or another, we have been harmed and have harmed other people. Staying silent about those injustices can be just as painful as the injuries themselves. Doing no harm then means speaking the truth about the harm in the past so that we are all set free to move forward in healing. What then would it look like if we as the church took this first simple rule seriously? First of all, I don't know about you, but this simple, this rule is simple, but it feels impossible, right? It feels really difficult. It's a simple world, but it's, it's a simple rule, but it's very complicated. Can we really respond this way in a world where people seem intent on bringing such deep harm to other people? While this is such a difficult reality to live in, we Christians must ask ourselves, if we don't commit to doing no harm, who will? Who's going to commit to doing no harm? If we don't try to set an example of doing no harm, who will? Even though this rule is simple, it is difficult to apply, but we must be a people who commits to doing whatever it takes to do no harm. Harm. Taking this simple rule seriously means examining the way that we live and practice our faith. To do no harm is a proactive resistance to all things evil, all that is damaging and destructive to humankind and all God's good creation, and ultimately destructive to us. To accept this first simple rule as our own, then, is a giant step towards transforming the world in which we live. To do no harm means that I will be on guard so that all my words, actions, and even my silence will not add injury to another of God's children or to any part of God's creation. As we heard the Apostle Paul encourage the church then and now, we must be determined every day that our lives will always be invested in the effort of bringing healing instead of hurt, wholeness instead of division, harmony with the ways of Jesus rather than with the ways of brokenness. When we commit ourselves to this way, we must see each person as a child of God. Do you know what most reveals your theology? The way that you treat other people. The first thing our Bible says about humanity is that they were created in the image of God. So how we treat one another reveals the most about what we believe about God that each person is a recipient of love unearned, unlimited, and undeserved, just like us. And it is this vision of every other person as the object of God's love and deep awareness that we too can live in the loving presence of Christ that holds us accountable to do no harm. 
My friends, when we commit to this first rule, we are transformed by that presence of Christ and we can then transform the world around us. One word, one action, one thought at a time. Will you commit with me to do no harm? Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to, we'd very much appreciate it if you would subscribe to this podcast as well as rate and review it. Also, if you'd like to connect with us, you can email us at amity.campus at boisefumc.org. That email will be in the show notes. Finally, as a smaller congregation, our budget is pretty tight. If you'd like to help out and donate to us, there is a link to do so in the show notes. Of course, no pressure, only if you're feeling called to give. But more income does mean possibly more content and better quality of content, as well as supporting our current ministries and those we'd like to expand on. Thank you. I hope you have a wonderful rest of the day.